Ready? 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 Oh, what was that? <laughs> okay. <I'm... laughs> it's like when Home Alone villains get yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> About the only story in uh, in the news film this week. Yeah, quite a big which one. Which is the Quentin Tarantino, who has said for, I want to say, a few years now that he's only going to do 10 movies. Yes. Only 10. Yes. That's it. And he's like, you know, I'm on his ninth. Yes. Uh, because he's, announced- uh, he's on his ninth if you count Kill Bill as one movie. Yes. Which I think which is fine. Which is definitely, yeah, I'm That's fine okay. with that. I'm happy to call that one, yeah. like, uh, one project. project. Um, he has said that he is going to be doing a series on TV yeah, for this. his next project. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because he is the, you, you think Quentin Tarantino, you think cinema, the high art of cinema, Mr. Cinema. One of the highest caliber directors. Yes. Yeah. Um, to do a TV series is interesting. However, when you think about it a little bit longer, it's not outside of the realm of possibility, given no. that many successful directors at Scorsese, Fincher, et al, have mm-hmm. all dipped their toe in the TV pond very successfully. Yeah. So, but I'm interested to see how his style translates to episodic yeah yeah but then if you think about it he's ref- he's also referred to tv and like cartoons and dates i mean think how much yeah. once upon a time in hollywood referred to Absolutely, tv so yeah when you think about it a bit longer it kind of makes sense and it's also not that you know this is happening now but it's a further endorsement of the small screen as a place yes. for the best creators the best yes. writing the best cinematography it's just even more it just proves yeah. to even more that like the biggest creators are probably really excited at the idea of chopping up their ideas into a TV format and working with that. Well, exactly. You get these people who are at the top of their game who are used to making things at like at length. Yeah. You know, Tarantino likes to make a long film. It's like someone came along and they were like, you can make your long project. Why don't you make it so long that we just mm. chop it up into little bits and put it on TV? Yeah. It's like, great idea. The other thing that must be hard about, you know, artistically writing a film, making a film, directing a film, is that you have all this build up and then the film is out and it's done. Mm. Whereas a TV show, if you do on, if you do it for like three, four seasons, for yeah. example, it's this really long process where you really like agonize mm. over each move that you make, and it probably has to change and evolve, mm. which probably is frustrating in its own way. But I could just imagine that it's almost like oh, that film, and now it's over that project. Yeah. Although I'm sure it will be a limited series that he does. Well, here's the thing: he said he said this in conversation, like on stage while promoting his book. He hasn't given any other details about it. A lot of people are speculating that it might be Bounty Law. The uh, the yeah. um, the show Bounty that, Law. Yeah, Bounty Law, the, the Rick Dalton show from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I don't know if they would get Leonardo DiCaprio back for that or they, it was, you know, this Saturday cartoon mm-hmm. kind of thing, which is funny because that's the kind of thing The Mandalorian was kind of referring back to, I think. Yeah, the way 100%. it was conceived like 100%. isolated episodes, um, Wild West kind of vibe. Um, yeah, I mean, he also said at the same time this week that he will definitely stop at 10, 10 films. He Devastating. Said, he said his 10th film will definitely be his last film. And he made some comments that uh, I don't necessarily agree with. He says that he he thinks older directors rarely make better films. He says older uh, and you, older directors rarely have their last film be a great film. And I'm thinking all the time reading this, I'm like, well, Martin Scorsese is still going and he's yeah. still absolutely killing it. Like, yeah. frankly, I get like a bit up and down, but like he's still absolutely smashing it. So I don't really agree with that. But very noble and bold him to say, I mean, he's only 59. And he says, yeah, my 10th film will be my last. I don't know where TV factors into that. Um, And uh, in a lot of ways, it's sad to hear that, you know, he might be done at 10. But I also am quite happy that I think I actually wish more people would go, I'm going to make one singular body of work and I'm going to leave on a high. Assuming that the 10th film is good. It's the, it's what Jim Carrey said, remember earlier the year when he's like, I have enough. I've done enough. I am enough. I am enough. I want to tell you something that no one will ever tell you. Yeah. I am enough. enough, Yeah. Which I think is, is brilliant. And Tarantino has said that he will continue to do creative things. He might do theatre. He might yeah. do art. Who, who knows? He wants to do a hateful eight play. Yeah, he, there was there was talks of that, and he wants to write more books. And and mm. and but but he said that in terms of movies as an art form, he feels like he's given all he can, which I think was really. Someone asked me at a party yesterday, "Would you rather erase the filmography of Steven Spielberg or the filmography of Martin Scorsese?" And it, which is a weird question. And I thought, ah, why, 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 why are we wiping them? It's uh, well, this is the thing. So I, I said. Um, I'd get rid of Scorsese and keep Spielberg. But then I said in defense, and she was like, oh, really? I'd do the other way around. This is like very like quick fire. Yeah. And I said, but 
I'm more interested to watch Martin Scorsese's next film than I am Steven Spielberg's next film. But I feel like Spielberg in the 80s and 90s is almost like untouchable. But then, of course, so, so is Martin Scorsese. But I just thought I think about the next film I'm interested to watch, it was Scorsese over Spielberg. You're telling me you're more interested to see The Killers of the Flower Moon than The Fablemans? I think so, yeah. I think I'm more interested to see The Fablemans. Yeah. However, I... Yeah, obviously that's a completely flawed question. It's just the kind of thing people say at parties. I I would agree with you. I would wipe Scorsese over um, Spielberg only because Spielberg's films, I think, are more universal to a wider audience. Yeah, my thoughts too. And and therefore they can can give more to to more people. But I do agree. Like, if you look at the most recent, the last 10 years of Scorsese films, Shutter Island, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, Silence, uh, you know, Irishman, and you compare it to Spielberg's, like, The Post, fine, Ready Player One, yeah, Um, you know, a bit bit hit miss, Bridge of Spies, fine, it's all right, Um, Lincoln, yeah, it's all right, yeah. Um, I think Scorsese is is really killing it. Um, With the Tarantino thing, though, he said, he made this interesting comment where he basically said, I don't know what movies are anymore. He said, What is a movie? Is a movie that's something that's released on Netflix and everyone watches on the sofa at home? Is it something that Amazon Prime puts out? Is it Marvel, Connected Universe? Right, because he said, I put out a film in 2019, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Mm. that showed in 3,000 theaters and ran ran for months. He's like, but is that that what a film is anymore? And Mm. he he didn't have an answer for it, but he he also said in a separate interview that he thinks that the current era of cinema that we are living in is one of the worst in history, (laughs) alongside the 80s and the 50s, which is interesting. And obviously... It just completely depends on who you are. That's a classic Tarantino uh, kind of like um, sensationist thing to say. The 80s was so bad. Everybody was so PC. And I was like, but surely you love like John Carpenter's The Thick. Yeah. Come on, that was... There was so much... Anyway. I wish you were almost impossible to challenge him because I know in his spare time, he sits in his own movie theatre and will probably watch a decade of cinema and yeah. just like as a really good knowledge of everything that's happened we, we play these games at the end of our show right you know guess the director yeah. and guess the film coach yeah. he would be like like um a savant and get it like ahead, or like um a telekin- tele telepath and get it ahead yes. of time oh yeah he'd be like richard kelly but i haven't even read out Donnie yeah. Darko, he'd be yeah. like on nzt like yeah. trying to play with someone like that <laughs> um yeah so it I, is it is interesting that he's gonna make maybe his last it is sad but also but also you know what it is Quentin Tarantino has been accused by his detractors as being like a little bit immature. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's quite a mature decision to go at, at not <laughs> even done. sixty to go. I'm done. Mm. He has also said that having having said that his last film, his next film will be his last film. He's in no rush to make his next film. He does TV shows yeah. for twenty years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he comes back. He's, he's like George R. R. Martin yeah. writing <laughs> the last Game of Thrones book. He's like, well. I'm writing a... It keeps me young. <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to write a video game for six years yeah. before I give you the end one. Which in George a way, Ron though, Martin I think if, if Tarantino had gone out on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I know we've talked about and how mm. we've really come around in it, mm. I think I'd be very happy with that. I think what a, what a way to end a career. Just like, last as like an, an amazing filmmaker, an mm. amazing body of work. Um, I wonder who will be fighting to distribute that series. Can you imagine the Ooh. flex to say Tarantino's first mm. TV show? is on, insert Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Apple, whatever. I'd love it if he gives it to like the shoddiest, crummiest <laughs> streaming Gate service. Plus. Yeah, Lionsgate <laughs> Plus. No offense to Lionsgate Plus, no, but no. like, I was surprised. I thought Paramount Plus was the last one through the door. It turns yeah. out there's Lionsgate Plus as I well. I actually would be surprised if it's like, it's on Vimeo. <laughs> <laughs> Vimeo just blows it's up. It's a YouTube that. short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Quentin Tarantino news. Yeah. There we go. Huge. So we've got a lot of films to review this week, actually. Bit of a bumper episode. Let's kick off with the biggest film that's out at the moment, which is, of course, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the sequel to Black Panther. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it, but James, you've gone and you've you've eaten it up with your eyeballs. What's going on then? Well, I tried to see it last week yes. and failed because the View cinema booking site crashed. This was it. the opening weekend. It's like Foolish getting, of me it's like to getting think, Taylor Swift tickets. To think that I could just go and see Black Panther. Turns out people really like it yeah. and it's very popular. Um, so yeah, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is out. And as we all know, 20, this is the sequel to 2018 Black Panther, yeah. which wildly successful beyond anyone's expectations, even for a Marvel film, mm. right? I, mean, um, I, think it, I think it made $1.3 billion worldwide. Mm. It's uh, the highest grossing film made by a black director. And um, we all remember, I think I remember Jimmy Kimmel at the Oscars making this comment about how it doesn't matter what any of us is going to say right now because Black Panther is just mm. taking the box office completely by storm. Um, and it was this huge, massive cultural touchstone in an incredibly... Uh, white um, 
MCU. Mm. This was a completely iconic moment, I think, for, for black culture. And I think we hadn't had... A, super, a black-led superhero film since either the Blade films yeah. or Hancock with Will Smith, if you want to count that. But I don't, I don't really does, no. doing that. But either way, it's like a, a real void of, yeah, um, yeah, of course. black-led uh, superhero films. You then very sadly have the... Oh, sorry, I assume they would have sort of gone, right, this is great, let's have more of these Black Panther films. Yeah. And then very sadly in 2020, as we all know, Chadwick Boseman passed away. And um, they, they were, I think they, they announced when that happened that they were never going to recast... Mm. Chadwick Boseman. Um, and I think that obviously put this incredible amount of weight over what Black Panther Wakanda forever would be. Uh, and under the assumption, of course, that it would have already been in production and already Assume underway. You know how long these films take to make. Yeah, yeah, a structure for what that sequel would have been would have probably been, been, been set different. in stone. Yeah. We know that they plan many, many years, if not for the yeah. next decade ahead of what's going to happen, um, such as the machine. You, you know, you pull one, one thing out, everything else seems to fall apart, yeah. right? Um, and I think when we saw the trailer for this, I actually really liked the trailer mm. for this film. I saw immediately that this was going to be a film about grief. Mm. And I think what it has to do, which is quite tricky, is that this film has to act as a fitting tribute to Chadwick Boseman, as well as the character of Black Panther in the Marvel fantasy universe, right? And it also has to basically be this very fun action movie. Mm -hmm. It has to be the next chapter in the MCU and reference things before and set up what's next. And I think while there are some really great moments in this, I did find overall the film was stretched very thin. Mm. Okay. So what I thought was really quite moving is that this, film's, uh, this film opens with uh, Shuri, who's a character played by uh, Letitia Wright, trying to cure T'Challa with an illness that she can't fix. Mm. And straight away in the opening, uh, Black, uh, T'Challa dies. And you know the fanfare that Marvel films start with, with the logo, and it's mm. da, 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 yeah. da, 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 So we get that fanfare, but with silence, mm. which was a really somber tone, and it's just, um, all the images is uh, Chadwick Boseman mm. as Black Panther. And it starts with this really touching, somber note, which I find really quite powerful, mm. and I'd never actually felt this way mm. in a Marvel film before. And you're also sad because of that character that's beloved, but you mm. also know that Chadwick Boseman has died and it mm. adds this extra tone of somberness. And um, like I said, so this film is two hours, 45 minutes long. Crikey. And there's a lot of plot in this because I said it's balancing a lot of things. Yeah. And there are some individual moments that I really like. Yeah. And I think, I think the cast do amazing. I think Denai Guerrero as a, as a mm. Koye is fantastic. You've got Angela Bassett as Ramonda, uh, Dominique Thorne as um, Ironheart, and um, Lupita Nyong'o, who's also brilliant. And it's, um, it's basically, the plot is very similar to like a lot of Wakanda plots have been. It's all about vibranium and the fact that lots of other countries are trying to get access to this very rare metal, which gives the Wakanda the baseline for their technology. And all these nations are basically like trying to argue for it in these sort of conf national conferences, but they're also secretly sending out their own military troops to try and steal some. And the, the, the Wakandans are very rightly protective over this mm. metal because they believe that if the Americans got a hold of it, they would use it for bad and yeah. vice versa, and it would just get out, it'd be a bad thing. But of course, um, Chadwick Boseman revealed vibranium to the world when he came out mm. like years ago. And um, you've got these nations warring for vibranium, and then you've got this other secret society that we've never really heard of before, led by a character called Namor, who are an underwater sort of Atlantis-style civilization, mm -hmm. who also come into the fray. And the plot basically revolves around this war between the Wakandans, the US, and these other nations. You've got Martin Freeman kind of lobbying for that FBI side, right. and you've got this other society. And it's sort of, you know, you get this action film from there. Um, what I think is brilliant, and I think you cannot take away from this film, is that you sort of realize halfway through that this is a film led by women of color who are all just brilliant. Yeah. And, and, and like, I, it, I think Okoye is now one of my favorite Marvel characters. Oh, wow. Because in this film, like, not only is the performance great, but they just give so much three-dimensional depth to characters which have otherwise just been a little bit, I am Wakanda, I am strong, mm. I am a warrior. And all of a sudden, I just felt so much... Um, empathy and grief for these characters and what they were feeling. And there are so many little moments where I sat there and go, oh, this is really special. This is, I kind of think, what Marvel's been mm. needing. Between that, 
are many, many very, very long scenes. Wow. After just watching it once, I was like, oh God, I can't believe that scene took that long to get to that point. Mm. And you give me this film, which is two hours and 45 minutes long. And I, I, I did feel it. I did check my watch. I was sort of shifting in my seat. I really needed mm. to pee. <laughs> and like, I just am like, this is, this is just really baggy and really long. Um, there, there are a couple of um, moments where I think the CG is left bit rubbery a bit rubbery which is uh, so, no um, no no it's, it's a recurring problem it's a recurring this theme at the moment about and there's actually like a lot of industrial uh, commentary about the way that visual artists are being treated like crunching right up to the deadline yeah, and, and they're being compromised ride by so much pressure and then people will watch it and then slag off the uh, the visual effects and if you think about how many films come out in a year now and yeah. whether or not like the visual effects industry yeah. is expanded to accommodate that probably not no, or if people not. are just having to work harder so um, no disrespect to the visual artists of no. course but Understandably, yeah, it doesn't look right. You're saying. There are, so as I said, there's, there's a sort of uh, civilization which are underwater. And when you've got a very long film with some moments which I think are really dragging out, mm. when you do scenes which are at the bottom of the ocean, which are very dark, and audio kind of sounds like this yeah. because they're underwater, I'm just sitting there going, God, I'm really not connecting with the scene. And yeah. when we get back on land in the sun, I'm like, oh, great, I can see again, I can hear again. Yeah. I'm back at the exciting yeah. moment. And you're sort of cutting between these two parts of the film. And I'm just a little bit like, oh, I, 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 I get to the end. Of it. And also, like, the film ends on another really powerful note. And in, the credits roll and I'm like wow like what a thing that this film is able to do for an actor that was very beloved mm. and for a character that was very beloved I can't help but think that coming out of this film if it had just been a little bit more disciplined mm. and uh, more economical with its script I think it could have been something much more special but overall I'm a little bit disappointed with it a kind of paint by numbers carbon copy action film do you Go think do you think that is because they had this massive, uh, had a massive change of direction after Chadwick Boseman died, and it was too late to really change the inherent architecture of the whole thing. Very possibly. And it's like we just have to go. And so instead of having it like defined by Chadwick Boseman at the top, it's now misshapen. Mm. And so when you say you have things that are baggy and uneven and, and needed to be tighter, it's like, well, yeah, because we've lost our linchpin. Yeah, it, yeah. Funnily enough, the, you know, you know, in this film, you've seen it in the trailer that someone is going to tape up the black man, yeah, black yeah. panther moniker, and they're going to go on and take that character. But weirdly, the film could easily have worked without the black panther character. There, huh. are, there is so much to enjoy in the conflict that loads of the characters go through. Mm. That I'm like, by the time that you know something like that happens, I'm almost like. I really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it works as more of like a Wakanda story mm. and you know um, as I said Angela Bassett is Ramona is really a Ramonda sorry is really trying to comprehend the the death of her son as well as like keeping a sense of strong leadership in Wakanda mm. all of these different factions are after her and she's got these people who also want to try and do right by it mm. they're trying to see like what else is out there they're going into the world mm. speaking to other young people and it's just yeah it's, it's just baggy Mm. And, and like, like I said, I cannot take away the fact mm. that I think it's a really excellent story from women of colour, which if you do research, you, it's really hard to find yeah, films yeah, no, which no, have women of colour in them whose the subject of the film isn't about the fact that they are women yeah. of colour. Like that is, that is really rare and I, I can't take it away from that. But it just like, it, it's long. Mm. Okay. And, and, I, and I hate to sit here and just complain about the length of the no, film, but no. when I do feel like it is baggy and it's a little bit inefficient it just, yeah, with it its is, time. It is. Whether or not, you know, uh, you know obviously what happened and maybe yeah it's a it's a knock knock on effect but yeah. sadly if it's back in it doesn't work and two hours 45 is that's a long marvel film that's like an end game runtime it's coming up to avengers uh you know runtime and um that there's this really great moment where they reveal the backstory of their villain who i didn't mind it was sort of complex and i go wow that is such a great like classic comic book mm. origin story that makes me feel a complex emotion to the character mm. and it was this great little scene but like around it, I was bored. Uh, and you've got, um, you know, Martin Freeman, who plays the uh, sort of FBI agent who sort of is, has an in with the Wakandans, but is also yeah. back strongly with the FBI. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus is back as a director, Defontaine, who I'm starting to get a little bit... Um, impatient with because I don't really know why she's here or what she's doing. Mm. And this is what I say about it feeling stretched too thin where it's teasing me with what's Bringing next. Bringing in too many ingredients. But what yeah. was teased isn't a satisfying meal yeah. for me in that movie. And yeah. I've already got a long film. You give me a bunch of scenes which don't really say anything about what she's doing. And then I think about like the three or four scenes that she had. Do and I'm like, how, where, that doesn't really give me anything to think, think about. Very cynically, Marvel was like, we know that this is going to be one of the most popular ones of our films. Yeah. We know that we're going to get a lot of eyeballs on this. We don't want to waste this opportunity. Let's get all of the things that link to the rest of our 
projects in here so people can see that. We know that we're going to have most people see this film. But it, it doesn't, this, this doesn't to me feel that connected to everything Interesting, else. Interesting, really? And I, I have this note now, you know, because I talk about the film in general, but I'm always kind of thinking about the MCU. It's that I feel that, I feel that Marvel films are becoming increasingly disconnected from each other. Mm. With this franchise, I almost expect them to be more referential, yeah. feel more like one cohesive piece. And it's interesting now in phase four, yeah. after we've had the films that we've had, I'm yeah. like, why don't these tie in together more? Yeah. Where is Shang-Chi? Uh, yeah, I, I understand that you know we've got different directors and different visions and you want to give Black Panther its own story and yeah. you want to give the Eternals room to like set whatever that is yeah. up. But whatever just, that is. Whatever, whatever that's going on there. But I'm left here being like, where's my, where's my like connection? Where's my cohesiveness? Yeah. Give me that feeling that like I've been paying attention and I want more. Which, they, which was what, it's USP basically 10 years ago. And I don't want to like, you know, beat a head, dead, dead horse to death, but I think the Marvel balancing act is unstable. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think they are able to balance this many things. I was thinking about this before. It was like, Thing is with Marvel, the USP, like I just said, when we, you know, pre-end game was like, oh, but I want to see where this is going because yeah. what I'm rewarded by is knowing that this is building to one big thing, and they did that and they pulled it yeah. off and it's like, well done, everyone flammed up and then it came back, yeah. fantastic. But then it's like you can't just really do that again in a way because like, well, we, you've done that now, yeah, and and it's like we don't want to be too connected, connected. Um, I just think it's just nothing lasts forever. We're talking about Quentin Tarantino earlier, like yeah. something's end. It's like, obviously Marvel's a massive studio. They're not just going to stop making films, no. but it's just like, yeah, that ended and you can't just expect the train to keep running forever. Incidentally, massively unrelated, but I've just remembered, yeah. I heard, just talking about how things don't end and always come back. Did you see that Neighbours has been saved by Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> Completely irrelevant. No, but but like, just like, you know, very minor thing in a like, Anglo-Australian pop culture that when, you know, Bezos just stepped that, that in. Went out. And then now it's been saved. Like, okay, well, fuck it. Oh, they already did the ending. They're going to do it back. And I don't care. I don't ever see Neighbours, no. but I just thought nothing ever ends. Anyway. Same with like our complaints of Doctor Who and why we sort of switch yes, off over here. It just it's never like ends. How I can't get so connected to a character that seemingly is just going to be around forever, forever evolving. Um, it's, it's weird because uh, I think my, my note for this film is similar to Black Panther 2018, which is like, I love what it's done. I love how special yeah. this moment in culture is. And I think this has been able to do that in, it, in a completely different way. But as a film, I wasn't, you know, I don't think I'll ever rewatch this film because mm. it's not interesting to me and it's very long. And I don't think I'll be thinking about it for that much longer after, after right. today. Mm. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. My, when someone was like, should I see it? I said, I don't, unless you're really up for a Marvel film, I don't think you should see mm. it in cinema. Is what I said to a friend. If you've seen Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and disagree with James or have your own thoughts, let us know at hello at popkitchenpodcast.com as ever. We'd be interested to know what you think for one film that is already, you know, making a lot Huge. of money. Has Huge. it made more money than Black Adam? Ooh, I don't know. Still, mm. I think reckon jury's still out. I wonder if the opening weekend was, um, was mm. bigger. I could probably check. So Black Panther's Black Panther 2's week one box office has passed Black Adam's worldwide total. Wow. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Uh, Black Adam, if you didn't know, was already doing very well, despite very Mixed dodgy reviews. reviews. Yeah. Um, but Black Panther, I think, has its own uh, has its own huge fan base cool. for, for, for decent reasons. But yeah. So George, I just want to start this little section with an email from yeah. Eden, who writes in to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com, just like you can. Hi, James and George. I wrote a few episodes back regarding the decline of horror movies and asked for your thoughts. You ended up recommending Men to Me as a mm -hmm. good recent horror movie. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch it yet as I'm waiting for a streaming service to get it in the UK. With that being said, I did go and watch Barbarian in the cinema recently and absolutely loved it. Restored a lot of feelings and emotions I used to have with classic horror films. Mm. Wanted to know if you had had if you had managed to see it yet and had any thoughts. Keep up the quality work each week. Loving every episode. Kind regards, Eden. Yes, yes. Thank you, Eden. So, Barbarian, absolutely. I have not gone and seen Barbarian, as has James. Mm -hmm. So, Barbarian is, as you mentioned, this horror film that actually came out in September in the US and yeah. came out probably about a month ago in the UK. We are getting to it quite late, but it has definitely been a kind of word of mouth hit that's being talked about. Yeah. I've got a lot of buzz. Have you seen Barbarian? I want to see it. Eden's email, case in point. And um, it's done very well on the, off the back of that. It, it had a budget of about four and a half million and oh, it's wow. made about 44 million. So it's made 10 times its budget, Amazing. which is great. Classic horror profit margin. Exactly, yeah. fantastic. Um, it had a very well-executed marketing campaign where it actually, contrary to the current trend, really didn't show you that much. Yeah. 
And Barbarian is absolutely one of those films where the less you know about it, the better. And oh. I can get, and if, if you're listening out loud, do not worry. We will not be re, um, revealing- Spoiler-free impressions. Absolutely spoiler-free impressions right now. All I will do is in setting up the plot, I will describe the first three minutes of the plot. And that is all you need to know. And that is that. So yes, I finally went to see a screening of Barbarian knowing very little about it other than it was a horror film and it had a lot of buzz. Here's the initial setup. It's the middle of the night. It's raining, and this woman pulls up outside this house. It's dark. She pulls out her phone, and it's an Airbnb she's booked. She gets out the car. She gets her stuff. She gets up to the front porch, covered in rain. She looks at the code for the key in the key safe, and she types in the code, and the code doesn't work. She goes, oh, shit. Types it in again, types it again, doesn't work. She goes back on her phone, checks it again. She's got the code wrong. She types in the code again. It's right. She opens it. There's no key inside. She goes, oh, shit. She calls the Airbnb people. It's the uh, middle of the night. In the middle so. of the night. The door won't open. She calls the Airbnb people, goes straight to voicemail. Obviously, she can't get through. And she's really frustrated. She goes back to her car. She gets in. And she might be just be about to drive away. We don't know when a light comes on in the house. And she sort of sees it and thinks, what? She gets out of the car, goes back up to the porch and looks through the window. And there's a man in there. She rings the doorbell of the of the house and the door opens and it's Bill Skarsgård. The horror guy. Yeah, fantastically cast. We'll talk about that in a second. He played It. In and the it uh, yeah, it, Pennywise the clown in it, right? And she sort of says, who are you? And he says, who are you? He's like, just woken up. Yeah. He's like, uh... yeah. who are you? And they quickly ascertain that she's booked this place on Airbnb. He's booked it on Home Away, like a different like, service. Yeah. The, the booking is double booked. He says, let me just run and get my phone and I'll just check these details. So he runs upstairs to get his phone. She looks around and all the houses in the neighborhood are, all the lights are off. There's no, there's no sign of life. Bill Skarsgård then comes downstairs and he sort of says, look, uh, let, why don't you come in where it's dry, out, out of the rain and we can call these idiots and get this thing sorted out. And he has that very Bill Skarsgård blend of charm and slight sinisterness. Yeah. And she looks around, she pauses. And then she goes inside. And the camera sort of follows, follows it. Through the and wall. the title says Barbarian. And that's all I'm going to tell you because that's all you need to know. What then proceeds is a horror film that is scary, freaky, and James, I have to say, really, really good fun. Wasn't it great? I absolutely loved this yeah. film. I, so I saw it um, first at the tours and I, I left the cinema and I text James. I said, I've just seen Barbarian. I really can't wait to talk about it on the show. Mm. You know, catch it if you can. I'm so glad you did today when you told been me you'd on my see list this. And I thought, right, okay. Um, I'll, I'll I had an absolute blast. Those I there there were moments in this film. I, I I think I think it's worth saying that I think the the reason it works is that it is so fantastically executed. Mm-hmm. Every single little bit, like just that opening three minutes that I was describing, every single bit of that plotting is so well done. And you really, like I said, if you you mustn't know. How, what happens in the in the in the film because that can be ruined. I have to say, I, I after I've seen the film, I'd followed up on a couple of other reviews, get some things, and even Mark Kermode, who is usually very good at not spoiling stuff, he revealed so much of the film really as setup. And I was like, if I'd known that going in, that completely spoils so oh, much. Wow. Right? Um, I love how um, the, the, one of the best things that stands out about this film is its sick sense of humor. Yeah. So the director, Zach Kreger, who used to be a comedy, uh, has a background in comedy, a bit like Jordan Peele came from comedy and moved to horror. Yes, yeah. And there is this really witty, playful, cruel- Cynical. Yeah, sense of humor running through and it. it's a very modern script as well. Exactly. And it never yeah. felt, um, I don't know, like cliched for being but, modern, but the that's writing it. works. So it's very modern, you know, you have all the Airbnb, you yeah. all these tropes and, and, but meanwhile, it fully contextualizes itself with horror tropes from the start. Yes. You've got this weird house. You've got a stranger's meeting. You've got, mm, maybe there's something downstairs, you know, in, in, yeah. in a, a cellar with a light that doesn't work. You know, just find stuff that when these things sort of happen, you go, oh yeah, horror tropes. Yeah. Um, and it has that very 80s lettering from mm-hmm. the size, the same Stranger, Stranger Things, things font. Yeah. I want to know what the actual font name for that yeah, is. Yeah. You know, very sort of Stephen, Stephen King territory. Um, I don't want to spoil much, but the, I mean, there was a sequence about halfway through that I was, I thought was genuinely terrifying. Yeah. I was, I was really, really squirming, and me and my flatmate just squirming in our seats watching this thing. And, and what's brilliant is that I mean, I only saw it in a theatre with only like a handful of other people. Yeah, but it's one of those great horror films that 
makes you um, squirm and look away and put your hands over your eyes, but also lean in and you want to see what happens next. And it's completely got you. What stood out to me when I watched it is how impeccable the pacing is. Yes. It knows exactly how good its horror concept is and when to give you something completely different yes. to keep you engaged. Because yeah. how many times have you seen a horror film when you go, the, the, the actual concept was tired by the end of yes. it, it became silly, it became this. Yeah. As soon as you think, as soon as it like gets to the high point of horror, it almost goes, okay, and now I'm gonna show you something very different. Yeah. Yeah. And then as soon as it does it again, you go, now I want to tell you why. Yes. And then it does it again. And then it gives you an ending, which is, I think, I think, I think works. Absolutely. And I just thought that what a masterclass in pacing yeah. for that film, which yeah. I don't think many horror films are that good at doing. I, I agree. It's about, I think it's like a hundred minutes, maybe 107 minutes, something like that. Perfect. The, um, yeah, the thing that happens halfway through the decision, the sort of, okay, now we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. I thought that's really bold. And then, uh, you know, there's a, there was a couple of minutes I thought, is this going to work? And then I was like, I, I actually really like what they're doing here. Yeah. And I love the way in in, the, in its third act, it headed in, with all these films, all these horror films, the third act is the clincher. So yeah. talking about men, for example, like men is really creepy and freaky, but the third act is where, uh, absolutely fair enough, it loses a lot of people. Yeah. And, and, and it does let down. This, I think, stuck the landing. Yeah. And, um, I just really enjoyed. Did you enjoy it? Take, takes you by surprise at the end. Like yeah. how you're feeling about it. I'm like, yeah. And then just those moments in in the middle, which I found so funny. Yeah. Like yeah, I, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll chat when we do spoilers afterwards about yeah. some of these funny moments. But I just like was actually laughing. That that sort of horror being close to comedy works really well yeah. as a watching experience. But, but also, and again, it's like a pacing of yeah. your emotions too. But there are images, moments in this that are really dark. dark. Very, that, that balances. Yeah, like so there's, there's moments that can make you laugh and moments that are witty, but there are moments that are incredibly dark. And it doesn't spell anything it. out for you when you start knowing the answer of what yeah. has happened. You you are left to fill in the blanks and you can completely understand what's happened without it, like points and, shoving and, it down but your that's throat. The, in your mind, filling out the blanks of what you realize that has the thing, you're like, oh my God, that is incredibly dark. Yeah. Incredibly wicked. Um, I think uh, it's quite playful with aspect ratios and the format in which it tells yeah. its story. Yeah. And the, the, it has a lot of fun with cinematography and the way yeah. that the camera moves through walls. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's also, it reminded me, it gave me that kind of exciting buzz that I had after I watched It Follows. So it's worth saying yes. this is, I mean, there's a superficial comparison that they're both set in Detroit, right? Yeah. But um, if when you watch It Follows, you kind of came away with thinking, oh, that's so fresh. Yeah. So new. I've really seen something like a new take. And um, this is, in many ways, completely different it follows. It doesn't hang on like a central concept in the same way that did, but it is kind of 80s inflected, John Carpenter's slightly-esque yeah. um, uh, horror. Um, and I, I, th that's the thing. I was talking to my friend afterwards and like, like you know, Hereditary is a film that is, is incredibly disturbing and dark and yes. distressing and scary. Don't get mm -hmm. me wrong. But like, I never had, Hereditary is not a fun film. No. I didn't come away that, you just come away thinking, Christ, that was a, a ride, right? just a ride into hell. Whereas this, I really felt like I'd had the full service. Mm -hmm. I really, I, it generally felt like a really great cinema experience mm -hmm. because you had fun, you, you know, you laughed, you got scared. Mm -hmm. You didn't cry, but you really felt like something. You feel energized. I, I think good horror is one of the most satisfying film yeah. experiences. When a horror yeah. film is a well-executed concept yeah. that sticks the land, I think there's nothing mm. as fill filling mm. when it comes to yeah. cinema. You're like, oh yes, they did it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, you, so you, you enjoyed it. Yeah. You really enjoyed yeah, it. Really, really, yeah, really, yeah. really enjoyed it. I, just, exactly, you I agree had so that... much fun with it. I was scared. I was like- It is, it is scary. Thank yeah. you. Can we just bet that? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's scary. a very, very good scare. A really good sort of like, like tight areas, I can't get out. I just want to leave. Yeah, yeah, and the and the plot, which also happens, it's gross the film. as well. Yeah, that's the thing. It's got this grotesque sort of squishiness yeah. to it. There's um, oh, we'll talk about it in the spoilers. This one moment, I was like, that is so gross, <laughs> awful. Um, there's uh, the plot literally unfolds like someone walking through a dark space with a, a torch. Yeah, and that it slowly reveals itself, and your mind is quickly trying to put things together about yeah. what it is. Um. I love the sort of 80s kind of bomb, bomb, mm, haunting bomb, chimes. Haunting. Yeah. Um, and um, the casting of Bill Skarsgård, again, is just brilliant. because and, and a wonderful play on expectations uh, yes. and everything. You bring this metatextual expectation of, of him as a horror character. And like I said, he, he, he as a, his face and everything, he's got half charm, yeah. half sinisterness. And his whole element in the beginning you are that that's what makes you lean in you're watching him you're studying him Completely his behavior every single twitch of the eye yeah and thing yeah can this can this person be trusted um it's a hard pulp kitchen thumbs up from us absolutely <laughs> I, it, and in a way it reminded me a bit of when i saw glass onion and right. there were and even structurally 
there are elements that Glass Onion and Barbarian have a lot of similar, which is like maybe something will happen and then we'll change thing over here and we'll do, we'll do this. Yeah. And I had similarly with Glass Onion such a great time and such a good buzz. Um, it really made me feel feel great. There's a lot to talk about in terms of spoilers with this film, but we are going to do actually like a breakaway spoiler special that's a, that's a bonus to this episode. So if you mm-hmm. finish this episode, if you check the feed, we're also going to do, we'll do spoiler chat about Barbarian. But we're also, James has caught up with a couple of films recently. Yep. We'll just go over some quick spoiler chat about Banshees of Inner Sharon and Living as well. Yep. Um, yeah, Barbarian. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. Um, check it out as, 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 as quickly as you can. Do not read or watch any oh, other reviews just, apart from this one about it. Just go, go and, and enjoy. It. Go and, and enjoy. Thank you, Eden, for the email. Yeah. So if you want to hear spoilers for Barbarian, head over for our spoiler special that'll be coming out this week as well. Um, but in the meantime, if you have any thoughts on the film, if you've seen it, if you didn't like it, you did like it, you want to talk about it more, send your emails into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com as usual. So the last of our reviews today, James, you've gone and seen a very different film to the two we've been talking about, Armageddon Time, new film from James Gray. Yes. Um, what's going on? So James Gray, who most recently has directed Lost City of Z. Lost City of Z. Sorry Z. to correct you, you, but it's only because it's British explorers in it and they talk about the city of Z. Thank you. Sorry. Ad Astra yes. as well. Yep. Which, um, a film which I think, I think James Gray films are a little bit mixed. I think critics yeah. tend to like him, but I've spoken to a lot of people who... Mm often don't connect with his films that much. I think Ad Astra was very moody and yeah. pensive. It was almost like sort of paired up with Interstellar in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but it had a lot of um, tacked on action that yes. I think if I was to felt a little bit appeal, incongruous yeah. to what the film was trying to do, yeah. you were like, oh yeah, those scenes happened. Um, but I think it's very interesting to contrast that as his last film with what Armageddon Time is, mm-hmm. which I know is made for a fraction of the budget and um, just is tackling something very different. So this is a coming-of-age tale set in 1980, New York, basically on the precipice of Reagan's presidency. It's a time where there's a lot of uncertainty about global politics. A lot Mm. of people are on edge. There's lots of sort of comments about nuclear war and the fact this Reagan is going to sort of send Mm. this entire country to to the don't remember he was an actor. So there's Mm. all sort of that like suspicion. Little do they know what's coming. And the film revolves around the Graf family, a middle-class Jewish family uh, living, and mainly this young boy, about 11 years old, called Paul. Um, and he's, the Paul is a troublemaker. He sort of speaks his mind. He's very gobby. He'll talk back to his mom. And in school, he just, like, is a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. He, um, he actually doesn't really want to engage that much in academia. And what he really wants to do is draw and become an artist. And like with a lot of immigrant families who have basically struggled for generations through oppression and mm. through, you know, being, uh, going through economic hardship, you get this generational divide where those who have been through a certain thing know that the, the system is fixed and they're Jewish. So, you know, everyone's always going to hate Jews. And the only way to sort of graduate to a higher standard of living is to go to a very good school, meet other very good people. And it's sort of this like upcoming capitalist idea of like, you need to graduate to a higher class. And the only way to do it is through education. Um, you've got Jeremy Strong and Anne Hathaway as Paul's mother and father. Um, and you've got Anthony Hopkins who plays his grandfather, mm. who's incredibly wise and, and stoic. And um, as I sort of said before, there is this understanding around the family that the system is fixed it's fixed against Jews there will always be people who don't want you here and um, they're sort of uh, so Paul has an older brother who is at a very fancy paid private school and Paul is at a public school and he gets into a lot of trouble and there's this idea that there are black kids at their school and there's sort of different ideas about what that means to be socializing with black kids and how sort of like class wise and the influence of that has and um, in his class Paul meets Johnny who's played really well by Jalen Webb and um, they both get into trouble together basically annoying their teacher and what this film essentially shows you is um, ways in which prejudice functions for different people and how both in family life ways in which like discipline happens and how that bad Mm. uh you know that the bad behavior is interpreted and also in the law right so in a way you could think oh this is threading quite familiar territory with you know uh the relationship with black people and Mm. and and the judicial system what this film does which is i i really liked i really really liked this film and i think what this film does is it tackles very uh 
well-trodden subject matter, but it does it with a really, really light touch. It, mm. it never um, throws a really obvious idea in your face. Mm. And there's there's just a couple of seats. Surprise, surprise, Anthony Hopkins is absolutely yeah. amazing in this film. No way! <laughs> and um, But one of the things that happens to Paul is that he realizes that his friend is being treated very differently. And when he uh, eventually sort of moves around with a different circle of friends, he notices that some of the friends start using the N-word. Mm. And he gets a little bit confused as to why this is happening. And he goes to his grandpa, he's like, I feel really weird because my friends, some of my people I've met are actually really unkind to black people. And Anthony Hopkins is able to tell him, oh no, you should stand up for those people. But what he does is he is someone who in the 1980s was old enough to have lived through mm -hmm. the Holocaust and also the, um, the, what it would have been like to be Jewish moving to a new country, right? So, and this is all very much like implied understanding from yeah. the audience. You get this sense that Anthony Hopkins' character probably isn't able to emotionally articulate what has happened, but also cannot describe the true horrors of what's likely happened mm -hmm. to a young child. But through his dialogue and through the wonderful performance of Anthony Hopkins, yeah. he's able to sort of demonstrate that tell a little bit about what it was like yeah. to go through that period mm. without directly telling you mm. what happened wow. to Jewish people in that period. And it just leaves an audience member knowing what he's trying to communicate yeah. and also relate it to a sort of more modern racism that's happening to black people. Mm. And I just thought that the, there was just some, something about that um, disciplined and stripped back way of dealing with those two things mm. in the eyes of a child without sort of introducing them to something that we already know mm. happened. I thought I thought was just absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. And um, wow. yeah, it basically addresses very he heavy subject matter with a, with a very light touch. And it just leaves that raw performance and your own emotions that you take in with you yeah. room to breathe. Fantastic. And that is what I think it does well. It could very easily, I could very easily have eye rolled. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's emotional punches are sort of left with me and not necessarily like with the performance. And that's why it's good. You're the second person this week who could tell me, to tell me that it's, it's very good. You know, yeah. And also the thing is like, I, I've been wanting to see it. It's kind of passed me by, actually. And I think it's one of those classic films that it just isn't getting a lot of airtime, isn't getting a lot of attention. No. Um, it, got, it got nominated for the Palme d'Or in Cannes. Oh, really? And I um, could, do you think Anthony Hopkins, best supporting actor? Anthony Hopkins, I mean, he's, he's, he's really good in this. Good. Okay. Like, shock it. He's good I, in everything. I mean, I like... I quite, I do find James Gray very interesting. I've only seen Ad Astra and Lost City of Zed, which is why right. I was able to just to say that yeah. earlier. Um, Lost City of Zed is, is one of those things that you watch this film, which has got a very sort of you think you could plot the story yeah. and it's a it's it's it feels conventional but it's not it, it tells it in such a different way and, and, yeah. it's, and it's got this very weird hook and it's like same with that astra that could be quite conventional but with both those films you think and i guess what, what you're saying it's like huh i thought i'd be getting this film but i kind of am still but i'm getting his way of telling me this yeah. and i'm glad i'm getting i'm getting a very unique perspective coming through and it's nice to have that from a you know from a director do you know what, do you know what i'm saying 100 percent. like yeah. it's it, I, I, it feels to me like a personal story i'd actually be interested to check mm. if it's something that is based I think it on might be samuel's biograph right, sure, so, which, right which really makes sense mm. and I, I think um jeremy strong is excellent in this he's a really sort of uh, difficult and flawed mm. character that never he's really... never played one of those before <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, completely different from what you've seen him of in course, succession yeah. doing something completely different he, he play he does something completely different than what i've seen to him before and and it sort of presents this idea that even though you're presented with people who are good who have also suffered hardship a lot of the time when things are really tough people will probably just take the advantages that they can and look out for their own mm. and i think that's quite an unexplored idea mm. and I, I just think it yeah it's it, it doesn't it's not obviously throwing its idea in your face and i think you'll go in with your own uh, emotions and feelings towards that subject matter. Mm. And I think it's very personal for different people. I mean, I'm, I was like raised Jewish, so maybe mm. I have like a very different connection to it. But I'd, I'd love to hear what other people think. I, mm. I'm very keen to have you see it and just yeah. to discuss some of the ideas and just like Anthony Hopkins's performance, which is just, Brilliant. he only has about four scenes, but they're all just like yeah. perfect. So yeah, I'd love to hear what other people thought of... Uh, Armageddon time. time. I, I I was in the I was in a I was speaking to a friend at the pub yesterday, and I just for some reason was calling it Apocalypse Time. What is the film I saw? It's not Apocalypse Now. No, it's Armageddon, it's Armageddon time. time. It's like <laughs> it's from our game, the, the <laughs> yeah. Antonin's game, whatever. Armageddon Time. Um, um, yeah, so great. Yeah, so let us know if, if you had any it. thoughts. You can write into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and we'd love to hear your impressions of that film as well.
I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who last week when we did our 50th episode mm. commented really nice things about how they listened to the show and just yeah, a lot of support thank saying you. thank you and I just thought that was really great and people sent an email as well saying oh congrats guys on the 50th episode yeah. if you haven't listened we did our 50th last week this is episode 51 but as always, every single week, we yeah. read out emails that people sent into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Just, Just like Jack did. Jack writes into the show and, sees it, and he says, Hi, fellas. Bit of a weird and long question. It's actually not that long. With the recent release of the game God of War Ragnarok and your right. frequent mentions of one-shot films that aren't truly one-shot, such as Birdman or mm. 1917, yeah. I was curious if either of you have played God of War 2018 or Ragnarok. These are games which are presented as one-shot and, and as well being heavily story-focused. The camera, in quotes, never cuts from cutscenes, scripted events or gameplay with the exception of when you die. But like Birdman, you know it isn't truly one-shot as none of it is real. I was curious in your opinion of this presenta- presentation style making its way to games keep up the good work jack james i leave this question entirely in your hands as you're much more of a gamer than i am i have played god of war 2018 i adored god of war 2018 i'm currently about eight hours into ragnarok and also loving it it's more of a good thing i won't go into a long tirade because this isn't a video games podcast but if you didn't know george that is a game that basically never cuts so it goes straight from its cutscenes into gameplay it's sort of at the highest caliber of narrative video game storytelling it's really, really good, as well as being an incredible okay. game. And what it does in God of War is that it took a character that was very two-dimensional from like the PS2, PS3 era, mm-hmm. era yeah. and they completely rebooted the series in 2018 with a completely different style, different gameplay style, different camera style. And they gave this character, which was pretty one-note, and they made him like incredibly complex, incredibly three-dimensional. And this idea of the single shot being that there are moments when the camera is forced to stay on the face of that character when other stuff is happening around mm. them. Kind of like, this is really weird to compare, but do you know Son of Saul? I'm not trying to <laughs> yeah. compare God of War, but weird comparison, but do you know how things yeah. in that movie happen yeah. around him? Yeah. And you're left with the expression yeah, of, of that character. Of, yeah, actor, not yeah. in any way comparing, but in the yeah. way in which that effect can work if you hold on someone's reaction to something. Yeah. God of War manages to actually do that in its own universe. Um, in terms of one-shot films, they're, they're, they do pop up a lot. Mm. Yes, we were. Any I mean, favorites of yours? Well, no, happened? but we've, I, the, 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 as the email referred to, we, we did cover this earlier in the year because we talked about Boiling Point, right? Yes, Boiling Point. Boiling Point, which was a one shot film, and we talked about how, like, you know, Birdman isn't and 1917 isn't because it's stitched together in post. And also there's an edit in 1917. I'm a bit more me. aware of the fact that it's going for one shot in yes. 1917. Um, it's, a bit, it's a bit like, oh, there we uh, go, still rolling. As I said at the time of the Boiling Point review, if you haven't seen Victoria, German film that came oh, out yeah. with uh, genuinely all one shot film, real good film, really interesting ride that was. Yeah, I'm loving God of War Ragnarok very much. This next one is from Ryan, who says, Hi, George. I've text this is my friend. I've texted James some questions over the months, but he's told me I have to email and will only take comments through official channels. Yes, follow the process. I respect that. And Suella Braverman could learn a few things. <laughs> That's a topical, but probably now outdated political <laughs> joke. But as mates, quite frankly, this feels like his only Red Skittles moment. Don't get too famous. What does Red Skittles mean? I don't get that. Red Skittles moment. Do you know this man? Yeah, I do know this man. He's a friend of mine. Um, Talking of fame, you guys have been going to premieres. I've been lucky enough to get tickets once to the King's Speech premiere with the actors there. The film was so much better than when I rewatched it. I'm not sure if it's because the audience were all on board and wanted to see it, or if they just didn't want to upset the cast by not (laughs) reacting. Have you ever experienced this? And are there certain films we should be consuming in different ways, whether that's solo or release night love the pod not brought here by tiktok james told me to listen okay well with the second question of like what's the best way to watch a film we could be here for hours talking about that Where very interesting you... question yeah. just parking that a second um yeah i mean if you are whether you like it or know it or not you are primed when you go and watch a film your mm-hmm. viewing experience is incredibly subjective the energy things. in the room right the energy in the room we've talked about it before i mean mm-hmm. i give that long story about once upon a time in hollywood but like um yeah, it's true that when we've seen things at the premieres, like Amsterdam is a good example. Like you and I both agree now that Amsterdam is, is basically a load of nonsense. Yeah. Like highly polished, well executed nonsense. Not not well executed, sorry. Highly polished nonsense. Yeah. But yeah, we saw it at a premiere, which puts you in the best kind of... I, and this is intentional. But they, they want to put you in the best possible frame of mind and mood to watch the film. Doesn't make the film any better, but it's no. like they just want to make sure that if you're going to go away and talk about this film... You are good you're, memories. You're, you're going to have watched it with the, the best um, clapping at the end, the best right. batting hands. You know, the, you're, you're from the strongest possible position that they can make you give. So yeah, going to a premiere is is fine and can make you very open to accepting the film in all its 
And I noticed at The Crown, when there were moments in the first episode when people, when it just started, people were kind of laughing at, at lines, which mm. I don't think were necessarily comedic, no. because everyone's in the room and it's yeah, just started. Buzzed. People it, are like looking for anything to engage with. It's the same way when they do live TV, that like before they hit, you know, go live, they'll have someone come on and like psycho the audience. Mm. It's just a basic I thing. am sure that people at film festivals are like, I'm just going to laugh because the director's there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so thank you very much, Ryan, for writing in. Yeah. And, and, and sorry, on the question about what's the best way to see a film with people, with not people, um, God, I don't even, I don't think I can answer. I mean, there are many ways. Where, don't ever see a film on too much of an empty stomach, is what I say. Yeah. Don't actually, as a rule of life, don't make any important decision on an empty decision. And there are also films that are quite good to see solo, no distraction. Yes. You take it in for yourself, you but sit like with it afterwards. Barbarian, I'm glad I saw it with my flatmate and I actually wish I'd, some more of my friends mm. were there to oh, see yeah, me. Oh yeah, you want to like vibe off And like ideas, when yeah. I saw Parasite, if I'd seen Parasite on my own, I know I would have enjoyed it, but I saw it with six of my friends and we, it was a very communal bonding experience. Yeah, that's so. great. Anyway, this next one is from Calvin, who writes into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. He says, good afternoon, gents. Calvin hello. from Manchester here, not by the sea. Like most, I discovered you through divine intervention, a mm. blessing from the almighty TikTok algorithm. <laughs> I really enjoy the podcast and have been listening through from the beginning. Now, just a few episodes away from catching up. Wow, look at wow, that. You're going to be, back. You'll be so surprised when you get to this one. We've done like 50 episodes. It's like quite a lot back to catalog. catch up on. Yeah. yeah, appreciate it. I was intrigued by the situation suggestion of watching Good Time and After Hours from your episode on Double Bills. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Please see back to that Double Bills episode. Having never seen either film, but being a fan of both directors, Safdie Brothers and Scorsese, mm. having never written into your podcast, I thought now would be a good time to share my experience Please with this do. Double Bill. Last weekend, I was visiting my brother and sister-in-law in Tel Aviv to meet their newborn baby for the first time. The five-hour flight back home to Manchester seemed like the perfect time to watch this Double Bill. So I loaded up my tablet and got ready to leave for the airport. Cool. As I was just about to leave, I received an email to say that my flight had been delayed by 20 hours. <laughs> oh, this is giving me flashbacks when I went to Malta. Jesus. <laughs> to cut a long story short, once I eventually got on the plane the next day, after another three-hour delay, Jesus. I found myself watching these two very intense films yeah. about men who just want to escape and get home safely. Yeah. <laughs> While I myself was emotionally drained, overtired, stressed from missing a day of work, and of course, desperate to get home, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed the double bill. Oh, good. I do think they complement each other really well, but I absolutely wouldn't recommend that to anybody who watches them on a flight that's been delayed by almost a full day. I almost wouldn't recommend watching Bo Burnham's Inside for the first time right after, because it definitely wasn't the lighthearted pick-me-up I'd hoped yeah. for. Thanks for the double oh, bill man. suggestions, and I'd love to hear more. No, Finally... No, no. I'd like to suggest a film to you, which you may not have seen. Possessor from 2020, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, has a bit of a, has a, bit of a body horror as you'd expect, but the psychological aspect is even more frightening. The leads, Andrew Riseborough and Christopher Abbott, both underrated in my mm. opinion, both given outstanding performances, as do the rest of the cast, especially Jennifer, especially Jennifer Jason Lee. Mm. I highly recommend you watch this film if you haven't already. I heard you mention Andrew Riseborough a couple of times, but never Processor. Uh, never possessor. So I guess I may have flown under your radar. Let me know if you've seen it and what you think of it. Cheers for all the hours of enjoyable film and chat. And of course, Louis through impressions. Calvin. <laughs> right. Um, thank you for, uh, first of all, about possessor. I have heard of it. I think it came out in like late 2020. So pandemic era when my, when my perception of when films, whether, whether films existed or did not exist. It's a vacuum time. Yeah. But uh, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll try and check that. Point. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> um, I'll check that out. Um, yeah, great. I'm glad you enjoyed the double bill. What your experience gave to it is like a method uh, a whole lot of the time, like a really horrible version of secret cinema where they're like, we're going to sleep deprive you, make you really tired. Yeah. So like these characters, you can be like this. Um, just glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your very much. Thank you for your email. Sorry for the delay. This next one is from Josephine. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. He says, hi, hope you're well. I've just spent my evening rewatching the Hunger Games series. And mm. I think most can agree that Catching Fire is the best film out of the four. Do you have any other examples of sequels that are better than the first installment Ooh. or generally some favorite sequels? I'm very curious to hear. Thanks for a great podcast from Josephine from Sweden. Oh, hello from Sweden. Lovely. Um, well, first of all, uh, I haven't seen all of the Hunger Games films, but I do think Catching Fire was great. And I did tell you that it was one of the best cinema experiences I've ever had. Oh, really? That? No, go on. I thought it was like my early episodes last year. Okay. Because it was a packed, uh, the most buzz. full cinema I've ever been into, like raucous energy, but people yeah. were just so up for it, so game for it. It was mm. a lot. I was amazed. I couldn't, be I couldn't believe, like, I mean, yeah, it was like, people were talking and stuff like that, but like people were just so hyped to this film. Mm. The Hunger Games, amazing. You can see a packed cinema like that. Such an era of um, teen revolutionary uh, yeah. anti-establishment, dystopic fantasy. Dystopic yeah, fantasy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think um, Catching Fire is probably better than Hunger Games, but three uh, films three and four are really I've rough. I've heard that, yeah. Um, wow. 
in terms of sequels that are better than the original, um, an immediate one came off my head, and the most recent one, which everyone will see soon, is Glass Onion. Yes. I think Glass Onion is better than Knives Out. Go to your ones, James. Um, Dark Knight is a better sequel. It's a very obvious uh, one. Yeah. I'd say the Toy Story 2 and 3 oh, are really? better than 1. But 1 is great, though, still, right? 1 is great, but great I, think, I think it, it really... I mean, 2 and 3 are better. Um, I would say... I mean, a lot of people now st uh, think it's really cool to say that Blade Runner 2049 mm. is better than Blade Runner. Oh, I mean, it's kind of different, aren't they? So, yeah, why? They feel very reductive doing it. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole discussion. Um, um, Empire Strikes Back, depending on how you feel about it. Yeah, classic. Um, Evil Dead 2, I've not seen it, but that's the one a lot of people say right. is better than the first one. I've never seen it. Yeah, um, there's a few. Yeah, there's a few. I, I wish I had more of you, but I'm just saying Glass Sunning off the bat. God, I hope you will like it. Do you prefer Kill Bill Volume 1 or 2? Well, as we talked about earlier with Chris, like they are one film. Really um, and I, I used to be the case that I used to say to people, love Kill Bill Volume 1, 2 is a bit meh. But I watched both of them recently and actually two, 2 is still very good. They're yeah, so yeah, they're good. both equal, yeah. I actually admire how stylistically different they both are. Yes. Yeah. How the first one is so like, you know, um, gory and, and over the top and like ridiculous. Mm. And then the, the second one is much more grounded and yeah. focused and is all about like her smashing her knuckles to get through a plank of wood. Yeah. yeah. To this day, I like do that to people's back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this next one's from Eve, who writes into the show and says, Hi guys, listen to your podcast all the time. Absolutely love it. Thank you, It's Eve. great to hear people who are as obsessed with the art of film and TV as much as I am. Yeah. I'm a musical theatre student in my third year and I'm writing my dissertation on how musical theatre performers are represented in movies. Very so your podcast is a gem to listen to. I was wondering what your thoughts are on movie musicals and their casts. Mm. Love your work and can't wait to keep listening. Eve... I respect the hustle. You're just going, look, I'm writing a dissertation. So Let me boys, just get some, some stuff. Um, uh, you know, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I'm writing a dissertation on this. Do you have any yeah. ideas on this subject? The deadline's tomorrow, by the way. <laughs> I hope she's there, just like, with a better <laughs> um, uh, Well, first of all, we did, we've talked about musical theatre before. Mm. When we did our movie Blind Spots, I talked about... Um, Bob Fosse's films, Cabaret, and all that jazz, and and mentioned Chicago, and then I talked about Chicago that I'd been to see it. I, I yes, went to see, watched sorry, it, watched it for the first oh, right, time yeah. on, on, on the film of it. We talked about that for a bit. Uh, how so? How just the question exactly? How first, musical theatre performers are represented in movies? Okay, so but I was wondering what your thoughts are on movie musicals in their casts. So kind of same. So so it's not like films about musical theatre performers like Black Swan. Yeah, right. But this is actually also just about movie musicals movie and their musicals cast. In general. Um, I think you and I, I'm sensing that a lot of people don't like... Well, I'm not, sorry, that's not true. I think there are a lot of people who roll their eyes at the 2012 Les Mis, Les Miserables film. Yeah. But you and I love that I film. I really like it. I really like it. I've seen it a good few times. I think the cast are great. I think they can all sing. I love the live singing thing. Mm. Um, I love Les Mis anyway. Hugh Jackman's fantastic. Every song's it? a banger. So, so you, you just can't go wrong. I really don't like musicals until I do. And yeah. then I love them. But yeah. there is no midpoint for me. That's so true. Yeah. I am very turned off by the uh, very sort of... Uh, like on the nose theatrical communication of emotion that mm. I find a little bit of, oh wow yeah. I just want to get ready for the yeah. ball like if you've ever seen just I don't know a cheap musical yeah. it, it just puts like, me off and I'm like yeah. this isn't good storytelling but sometimes it just when a good musical hits man it just gets uh, you and actually refer to the beginning of like our first episode of this year um, and James your homework for Christmas mm. which I think you're already going to do is yeah. West Side Story yeah. Spielberg's West Side Story which I think song. is for me now when I think of modern musicals that is the high watermark mm of what can be done. Um, are fantastic. Uh, I was in uh, Salzburg recently yeah. and I went to, was filming some like, you know, shots yeah, around town yeah. and I went to the steps where they did the Do Re Mi and the fountain that they dance it's around. Sound of music. Yeah. Sound of music, of course. And it's just, Salzburg is a beautiful city, but you just picture these little mm. kids jumping along in their little like, oh. um, curtain ladders. And, yeah, I love sound of music. Can't, mm. can't go wrong with sound of music. Um, yeah, and, but Mary that, Poppins. I think, um, yeah, I guess you could like count that as a mute. Mary Poppins. Musical. Well, it's got, of course it is. I don't think of that as a musical because that wasn't a musical first. It's just a film with musical numbers uh, okay. in it. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? But that was like a musical film of the time. They, that was like a Disney musical. Yeah. Sherman Brothers. Mm. Saving Mr. Banks is a great film. I really like yeah. that. Yeah, you didn't so. like it? No, I think it, I thought it was fine. Oh. I mean, I've only seen it once about really 10 years ago. It was made fine. Me sad. Okay. Yeah, it's got bit, bits to it, emotional bits. But yeah, that's the thing. Like the midpoint of musicals is like, mm. nah. And I, did, I quite, I, I quite like Chicago. Music's great. Performances are great. Mm. Just a bit out of date, I think. Directing style. Anyway, there you go. 
This next one is from Michael, who writes in and says, Hi, George and James. Congrats on 50 episodes. Thank you. Found the pod very recently and have been enjoying catching up on everything I've missed. Let me guess, you found it on TikTok? I'm just going to assume yes. Uh, Probably. Uh, This is a question for James. No offense, George. Based on something you said during your 50th episode, I noticed some similarities when you described your university ordeal in that you mentioned you did psychology and were working in a restaurant before progressing to a job in film and TV. I've just finished my degree in psychology and I'm currently working in a pub. Nice. But I wondered if you could maybe elaborate on how you got into that line of work, if at all possible. Film and TV are great passions of mine, but achieving a job in the industry always seemed more of a pipe dream than a real possibility. However, hearing how you overcame a difficult time to achieve a job you love inspired me somewhat, and I'm debating trying to reach my goal, despite it initially appearing unrealistic to me. I, of course, understand it is a very competitive industry, but more and more, I figure you only live once. What's the harm in trying? So I guess what I'm asking is, if you have any advice on how I may go about trying to do this as someone who's already been there before, any advice you could offer on how to get a foot in the door would be greatly appreciated. I apologize this is not strictly in keeping with the subject matter of the podcast, and also, if it's too personal, I totally understand. Keep up the amazing work, and I look forward to the next 50. Cheers, Michael. Um, yeah, it's an age-old question. Uh, the, fr- the frustrating thing I've always found about media, production, TV, film, is that every single person you ask how they got into it has a completely different answer. Huh. But um, there are a couple of like sort of consistent through lines which are there. Obviously, if you know someone, it's just one of those industries. If you can have any connection, exhaust any connection you have in school, anyone's parent who's willing to give you a day doing anything, that really helps. How I did it was, this would have been 2016, 2017. Um, There are Facebook groups, this is for the UK, which are called like people who work in TV runners. And there are a couple of different groups for runners. If you don't know what a runner is, it's basically like where you just make teas and coffees and you help out on shoots. Um, They post jobs on that feed constantly. These are like day things, need help on a shoot. Sometimes they're TV shows. Sometimes they're just very small little brand content things. I uh, was on that and I was sending out CVs and I had like a, a skeleton cover letter ready to go and then I saw one for a production uh, studio that was hiring day runners for a TV show I just happened to be on that for the 15 minutes that that post was on there I sent in my CV with a cover letter and um, I, I, I did end up getting this job. But the woman who put that post on the Facebook said in the 20 minutes they had it on that group, they received 200 CVs, wow. interviewed 12, and hired two of us. Wow. So it is very competitive. All I can say is right place, right time. Have like a good cover letter ready to go. You do not need experience to do it. Nine times out of 10, they literally just want to see that you're a nice person, that people are happy to work with, who seems like sensible and just happy to help out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what kind of stuff you're looking to go into, but TV is a really great one to start in because you get to work on a bunch of different things. You'll meet loads of people. Everyone in that production team who works in TV are all sort of freelance doing jobs for three months at a time. And then they are all going to split off to do eight or nine different things. And then all of a sudden, you know people working on eight or nine different TV shows. And then it just like accumulates. And all of a sudden, you like know everyone who works in TV. And it starts to feel like a very small world. Um, so that is my advice. I was always working in a pub in between my running jobs because like I, can, I wasn't getting enough work to basically sustain one for the other. Um, psychology is not going to help you, but um, by all means, having a degree is always good. It's just classic, like, just be be a nice person, work hard. When you're a runner, it becomes immediately obvious if, um, you, cannot if some, it, yeah. you cannot coast in the job, which I think is a really, like, good way to start working. I actually recommend TV work for people who are just leaving uni who don't fancy having a real job because it's work. It doesn't feel like work. It's hard work, but it doesn't feel like you're turning up to do a job. Mm. Um that's basically my advice. Be ready. Have I just apply for so many things. That's very good. Very thorough. I didn't need to say anything. Well done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael, thank you very much. Sorry if that's not that much of a help, but um, that I promise you there's someone you know in a very loose circle who does something in media, something in TV, who's willing to help you out with something. But there we go. Those were all the emails that we have for this week. Thank you, you sure? very much. You sounded very uncertain. I, yeah, I was just checking the case. We do. Another okay. one. The other ones are for other, other, subje- other subjects. Great correspondence as ever, guys. Much appreciated. I love our emails. As uh, always, if you wanted to send one in, you can do to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. So I came across a video on my TikTok feed organically of oh, yeah. someone playing along to one of our games. No way! And I just thought, uh, yes, someone. And yeah, I like to think that people learn a little thing or two from these so. games. Like I sort of describe them as like revision for a test that's never going to happen. Yes. Like revising for our own podcast. But someone was like playing along and they got rehyped. Like, okay, let's go. 
And I just thought that was really fun. But as always, on Pop Kitchen, yeah. we end with a game. It grows okay. the show. It's good fun. It leaves us on a fun note. I hope you play along. I hope you learn something. Yes. George, we are back with a game we did last week, which did really well on the old socials. It is guess the director from their film. Okay, okay I'm going to read out directors in a little quick fire. And you have to, sorry, I'm going to read out films in quick fire. And you have to tell me who the director of that film okay. was. George, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, this is for people who really know their films. You have to guess the movie director from the movie. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Silence. Martin Scorsese. Sleepless in Seattle. Nora Ephron. Yes. Casino Royale. Uh, that is that is that is uh, martin campbell oh. whiplash damien giselle back to the future robert zemeckis mrs doubtfire chris chris columbus yes oh. well done the thin red line terence malick yes blood diamond wait blood diamond that is a uh, Zwick. Zwick. Edward, Edward Zwick. Zwick. Edward yes. Zwick. Thank you. Oh, well come done. On. Yeah. The Mirror. The Mirror? The Mirror? The Mirror. Who's, who's in that? Andre Tarkovsky. Oh. <laughs> Atonement. That is a Joe Wright. Yes. Yeah. Capone. Josh Trank. Yes. No one's Rock and that. Roller. Uh, Guy Ritchie. Last one. National Treasure. Dad. It's not Roland Emmerich. It's not Michael Bay. It is someone who's on that kind of way. Wait, 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 please. It's um, uh, uh, John Turtletaub. Oh, John Turtletaub. <laughs> oh my God. I must get bust up my John Turtletaub you know, collection. You know what I was thinking about? I'm like, I have to have a mix between prestigious great films of all time, yeah. which you probably know, and then like films you know, but I don't think you know the director of. That's like... The less sort yeah. of uh, high caliber ones. I did, um, I, I, so I dropped Casino Royale. Casino I dropped Royale. The Mirror. Because yeah. it's not even the most famous Tarkovsky film. No. Uh, <laughs> and uh, National Treasure. I didn't do too well. I didn't do too I well. Think you did fine. I think you did just fine. Just I'm fine. proud of you. How well did you guys do at home? That's the question. Thank oh. you very much for listening to this episode of Pop Kitchen. Don't forget, we post new episodes of this show every single Wednesday. And remember, we've got an extra bit of content coming out this week. The spoiler discussion when we talk about Barbarian and Banshees of Inner Sharon yeah. and uh, a bit, bit of, of living. living as well. So just a spoiler discussion and recap of some films we've been talking about. And if you've been waiting for Bevin's, Bevin's review of Banshees of Inner Sharon, Oh yeah, that's coming out. That's coming in that, in that spoiler bit too. So head of, over and check that out. And as ever... TikTok, Instagram, give us a like, give, give us a follow. We just share. hit a thousand subscribers. Thank you. Everyone share with go your and subscribe friends. to the YouTube. Share with your friends. That'd be great. Oh, look at this funny clip on TikTok. Oh, look at this episode I just listened to. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be really wonderful. And uh, thank yeah. you so much for listening. Thank you. We really appreciate it. See you next week. Goodbye.